Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we dive into Fire and Fury by Michael Wolfe. Published in 2018, this revealing book offers a behind the scenes account of the Trump administration's early days. Wolfe, with his insider access to the West Wing and more than 200 conversations with senior staff members, provides a thought provoking portrayal of an administration he asserts was entirely unprepared to govern. Author Michael Wolfe, a former editor at Adweek, is a respected journalist who has contributed to Vanity Fair, The Guardian, New York Magazine, and The Hollywood Reporter. His exceptional journalism has garnered him two National Magazine Awards. In addition to Fire and Fury, Wolfe has penned best-selling titles such as The Man Who Owns the News and Burn Rate, How I Survived the Gold Rush Years on the Internet. Fire and Fury is an ideal read for those who crave a deeper understanding of the White House's internal workings during the Trump era, U.S. citizens concerned about the fitness of Donald Trump for the job, and news enthusiasts who seek greater insight into the Trump presidency. Tune in as we unpack this fascinating narrative in the world of politics. Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House Introduction Unveil the secrets of the Trump administration Your backstage pass to the West Wing In June 2015, Donald Trump threw his hat into the ring of presidential contenders, a move that had pundits and political watchers reeling with disbelief. A seemingly unlikely candidate, his victory in the 2016 presidential elections surprised experts, observers, and perhaps even Trump himself. In the role of the leader of the free world, how did this real estate magnate and reality TV star adapt? This immersive narrative, sculpted from Michael Wolff's painstaking exploration of the Trump administration, offers you an exclusive glimpse behind the curtain of one of the most controversial presidencies in American history. You'll gain insights into the key players pulling the strings, the relationships and power struggles within the administration, and what they really think of their commander-in-chief. The release of Fire and Fury ignited a firestorm in the media that swept across the globe. Let's dive in to find out what sparked this explosive reaction. In this narrative, you'll discover the real power couple within the West Wing, known as Javanka, an activity that is conspicuously absent from Trump's daily routine, the reason behind Trump's flurry of executive orders. Part 1. The Unexpected Triumph Trump's shock victory took everyone by surprise, including Trump himself. Remember the wave of disbelief that swept through the nation when the political outsider, Donald Trump, won the 2016 U.S. presidential election? You weren't alone. Ironically, even Trump and most of his campaign team hadn't expected such an outcome. As the election drew near, Trump assured his wife, Melania, that their lives would return to normal come November. With a marriage far from the portrait of domestic bliss, Melania yearned for the days when the relentless glare of media scrutiny would abate and their personal lives, including Trump's past infidelities, would cease being a national talking point. The rest of the campaign team, including the likes of campaign manager Kellyanne Conway and Trump's advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner, 
were certain that the roller coaster ride of Trump's presidential campaign was nearing its final stop. Everyone was already dreaming about life after the campaign, strategizing about their next ventures, while Trump planned to cry foul about the stolen election and toyed with launching his own television network. Conway saw her newfound fame as a ticket to a cushy media job with a leading cable news network. Their lack of preparedness was evident in how ill-equipped the team was for the heightened scrutiny that comes with the White House. Trump, along with other campaign associates like Paul Manafort, were ensnared in a financial gray area due to their extensive real estate holdings. Their backgrounds and transactions were unlikely to withstand close inspection. In fact, Manafort only agreed to step in as campaign manager after Kushner reassured him that the chances of winning were slim, and thus, there was little risk of him being subjected to any investigations. The election results therefore left everyone in a daze. Trump's closest allies and most staff members were at a loss, grappling with the reality of what lay ahead. The only exceptions were Trump adviser Steve Bannon and his pollster John McLaughlin, who had an inkling that the odds were in their favour. For the rest, they were ill-equipped for the whirlwind that was about to hit. Part 2. The Power Tussle Within the West Wing Trump's Inner Circle at Loggerheads Navigating the political waters of an underdog campaign and steering the ship within the White House are two distinct ball games, a fact Jared Kushner was quick to discover. Once ensconced in the White House, Kushner found that the camaraderie he shared with Steve Bannon during the campaign had started to ebb. The campaign had provided a unifying purpose, getting Trump elected, which had fostered a strong bond among the team. However, with the election won, the focus shifted to policymaking. Here, Bannon's vision diverged dramatically from that of Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Bannon, who referred to Ivanka and Kushner collectively and somewhat derisively as Yarvanka, dubbing them the geniuses, championed a departure from globalism towards economic nationalism. His vision for the Trump presidency included launching a trade war against China and refraining from futile foreign entanglements, like the seemingly unending conflicts in the Middle East. In contrast, Javanka aimed to tap into Trump's Democrat inclinations, striking audacious deals in the Middle East and facilitating a peaceful resolution between Israel and Palestine. With familial ties to Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and close connections to the iconic political strategist Henry Kissinger, Jared and Ivanka were well-placed to make this happen. However, some of their business connections in the region, including real estate and mining magnate Benny Steinmetz, were under investigation for shady business practices. Bannon would chuckle every time Trump proclaimed that Jared would become the next Kissinger, the peacemaker of the Middle East. In Bannon's view, Jarvanka's philosophy contradicted the core tenets of Trumpism. Both Bannon and Jarvanka were in for a revelation, however. What had been about managing Trump during the campaign transitioned into realizing just how unmanageable Trump could be as president. Part 3. Domination, not Diplomacy. The Assertive Tactics of the Trump Administration in its Early Days. Steve Bannon, the former honcho of Breitbart Media, and an influential Trump campaign strategist, along with benefactors Rob Mercer and his daughter Rebecca Mercer, envisioned an America characterized by small government, 
deregulation, Christian supremacy, and an anti-Muslim stance. Breitbart gradually emerged as the central platform for the alt-right movement, comprising ultra-conservatives. It was these individuals who rallied behind Trump during his campaign, becoming what is now recognized as his core base of supporters. They were likely the subjects of Trump's audacious remark about his support remaining unflinching, even if he were to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. As the Trump presidency began, Bannon found himself riding a wave of momentum. Despite Trump's displeasure, Bannon was often credited as the mastermind behind the campaign. His strategy for the new presidency involved an approach aptly termed shock and awe. This strategy aimed to assert the president's dominance in the political sphere by utilizing executive orders, EOs, authoritative decrees that circumvent Congress and the negotiation process. Bannon had planned to issue 200 EOs within the first 100 days of the presidency. One of the earliest orders, issued on January 27th, tackled the emotive issue of immigration, a cornerstone of Trumpism. This order effectively barred the entry of individuals from specific Muslim-majority countries. Both Bannon and Trump shared a disdain for bureaucratic inertia and inefficiency, making the use of EOs an appealing method. However, this tactic also served another purpose. None of Trump's senior staff possessed the know-how to shape policy in the conventional way or draft official documents. Thus, Bannon directed a staffer to search the internet, learn how to pen an EO, and start working on it. Bannon reveled in the shock and outrage that the stringent travel ban elicited. With a background in clickbait media, he held a rather cynical view. Whether it sparked delight or disgust, a click remained a click. Part 4. The Ideological Rift in the White House. The Bannon versus Jarvanka tug-of-war. A week into his presidency, Trump extended an invitation to Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, co-hosts of the MSNBC talk show Morning Joe, to the White House. He was bewildered by their lack of enthusiasm for the travel ban, despite nationwide protests and several families torn apart. Trump, in his characteristic style, declared, We did great! Many of Jared's confidants strongly advised him against accepting a role in the White House. However, both he and Ivanka believed that they were a critical counterbalance to unchecked Trumpism, capable of preventing the president from succumbing to his worst instincts. In essence, they saw themselves as presenting Trump with an alternative to the Bannon route. Bannon soon discovered a key aspect of Trump's decision-making process. He typically agreed with the last person he spoke with. So Bannon cleverly positioned himself to be the final voice heard, thereby enhancing the likelihood of Trump endorsing his suggestions. Caught in the crossfire between Bannon's radically assertive strategies and Yavanka's endeavors to temper Trump with moderation, the Trump administration found itself embroiled in constant turmoil, a battleground between the Bannonites and the Javankaists. As part of a tactical move to sway Trump in their favor, Jared and Ivanka enlisted the assistance of two stalwarts from Goldman Sachs, a legendary investment firm revered by Trump, Gary Cohn and Dina Powell. Cognizant of the potentially toxic work environment they were stepping into, both Cohn and Powell justified their decision by the belief that they could have a positive influence and help detoxify the atmosphere. Indeed, 
when Trump addressed a joint session of Congress on February 28th with a speech prepared by Powell, Cohn, Jared, and Ivanka. It appeared as though the scales were tipping in favor of Team Jarvanka. Trump, sticking to the script referred to within the White House as the Goldman speech, momentarily exuded a presidential aura. However, for Bannon, this was a stomach-turning spectacle, a betrayal of their mission to upend the established order by attempting to appeal to the very people they were meant to challenge. Part 5. The Controversial Dismissal of FBI Director James Comey a pivot point for the Trump tenure. As far back as mid-2016, media whispers hinted at a potential collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian administration. However, just before his inauguration, details from an independent probe pointed to a deeply unsettling association. Christened the Steele dossier, after its author, ex-British intelligence agent Christopher Steele, the document paints a disconcerting picture. If the dossier's assertions are accurate, the Russians possess compromising information on Trump, potentially leveraging it to manipulate him and his presidential authority. James Comey's FBI released their own findings on January 6, 2017, confirming that Russian operatives had indeed interfered in the 2016 election. This conclusion found concurrence with both the CIA and the NSA. The Trump administration was irked by the FBI's inquiries into Russian interference in the election. However, when Jared Kushner's informants within the FBI revealed the agency's plans to scrutinize the Trump family's financial affairs, Kushner started suggesting to Trump the possibility of ousting Comey. Bannon was fervently against this idea, fearing it would exacerbate the situation. Nevertheless, during the first weekend of May 2017, Kushner had Trump's ear, and he began to convince the president of the merits of exercising his authority to dismiss Comey. By the time Trump returned to the White House on May 9th, he was primed to let Comey go, armed with a document listing reasons for his dismissal, including the mishandled investigation into Hillary Clinton's 2016 emails and Kushner's claim that 75% of FBI agents were disillusioned with Comey. Attorney General Jeff Sessions urged Trump to exercise restraint while he and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein fortified their case. However, Trump, renowned for his defiance, gave Comey his marching orders without further ado on Tuesday, May 10th, via an immediate termination letter. With Sessions having publicly abstained from participating in the Russian investigation, Rosenstein was left with the responsibility of hastily justifying the termination. Disturbed by Trump's impetuous decision, Rosenstein retaliated by appointing ex-FBI director Robert Mueller to formally scrutinize any potential collusion between Trump and Russia. Part 6. Trump's Literacy Difficulties A concern for comprehension and reading. Trump refrains from reading. His conviction is firm. He believes he shouldn't need to read. This is why he delegated the task of scanning the morning papers to his assistant, Hope Hicks, who presented him with an upbeat rendition of the news each day. His aversion to reading is so pronounced that some members of the White House staff have contemplated whether he suffers from a reading impairment or possibly dyslexia. The root cause of the problem is tied to Trump's inability to process information, as one would expect from a global leader. This deficiency, or the absence of it, 
has led to a plethora of awkward predicaments. One of the early challenges his administration faced was a chemical weapon assault in Syria that occurred on April 4, 2017. His national security advisor, General H.R. McMaster, attempted to brief Trump on the situation and the potential response. However, Trump seemed more irritated at having to consider Syria than by the attack itself, which had claimed the lives of numerous children. Trump and Bannon found common ground in their mutual disdain for McMaster, who consistently induced Trump into fits of anger during their weekly meetings by bombarding him with PowerPoint presentations and forcing him to read documents on urgent matters. At this juncture, Bannon was counseling Trump to deviate from tradition and refrain from responding to the Syrian attack. He argued that the U.S. had overlooked other foreign incidents where more children had died. Why should they intervene now? What's in it for them? Bannon's transactional reasoning resonated with the dealmaker in Trump. However, Ivanka was not ready to concede. Aware that her father, though not a reader, has a proclivity for television news, she prepared a video containing footage from Syria to show him. The visuals horrified Trump instantly. In this bout, Team Jarvanka emerged victorious, and Trump reacted with a tomahawk missile strike on the Al-Sherat airfield in Syria. This was ingeniously timed to align with Trump's dinner with Chinese leaders at his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida, turning it into a public relations spectacle. Part 7. Revelations of a meeting organized by Donald Jr. uncovers further connections to Russia and evidence of poor decision-making. In the early days of June, Trump was stewing over the investigation into Russian interference and was even contemplating sacking Jeff Sessions and Robert Mueller. He considered replacing the attorney general with a more faithful ally, possibly Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York City, or Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey. Bannon had to consistently remind him that neither Giuliani nor Christie had any hope of attaining confirmation approval for the position. Moreover, he emphasized, there was no such thing as executive privilege to dodge an investigation. However, Bannon was delighted about one matter. On June 1st, he celebrated a notable victory when he successfully persuaded Trump to defy Ivanka and withdraw the United States from the Paris Climate Agreement. He couldn't contain his triumph, quipping, Score! The bitch is dead! However, a looming problem was on the horizon. On July 8th, while Trump, Jared, and Ivanka were in Hamburg for the G20 summit, the New York Times released a bombshell story. They reported confirmed evidence that in June 2016, Donald Trump Jr. had arranged for Russian lobbyists, a Russian lawyer with a background as a former Kremlin agent, and a few associates of the Russian oligarch Aras Agalarov to meet with his father at Trump Tower to share harmful information they had on Hillary Clinton. Bannon was well aware that Trump's two sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, lacked intellectual prowess. But he was flabbergasted that one of them would be naive enough to accompany Russians into Trump Tower instead of discreetly meeting at a motel as any sensible person would have done. Yet, the blunders didn't cease there. On their return flight from Hamburg aboard Air Force One, Trump, Hope Hicks, and Jared Kushner fabricated a response to the breaking news story. They claimed that the meeting was solely about adoption policy in Russia. Once again, Bannon was aghast that Trump would neglect the advice of his legal team to construct a more substantial response. 
He was further confounded that Hicks would involve herself in what was likely to be considered obstruction of justice. Part 8. Trump's own utterances repeatedly escalate his predicaments. Trump has had a consistent inability to acknowledge his own culpability in the series of troubles plaguing his administration. He vehemently blames the Russia debacle on Sessions. How could Sessions recuse himself and not safeguard Trump? It baffled him. Trump also has a notorious habit of inviting unnecessary media attention by firing off erratic early morning tweets at various individuals who, in his view, have wronged him in some manner. However, when questioned about these Twitter outbursts, he habitually dismisses or feigns ignorance, as if saying, what's the fuss about? For instance, as the anchors of the MSNBC show Morning Joe started expressing growing disillusionment with Trump, he lashed out on Twitter, claiming that co-host Mika Brzezinski once appeared at one of his events with a bleeding facelift. This tweet triggered a wave of outrage, with many appalled that a sitting U.S. president would share such a remark. Unmoved by the backlash, Trump retorted, Mika and Joe totally love this. Big rating for them. Trump's propensity to divert from prepared speeches and embark on tangential, barely coherent rants has frequently left audiences confounded, and not for positive reasons. On July 20th, Trump outdid even his own established standards. He opted to give an off-the-cuff interview to the New York Times, admonishing Sessions against resigning and warning Mueller against probing into his family's finances. Predictably, Bannon was horrified at the patent lack of wisdom displayed by the POTUS and lashed out in frustration, labeling Trump the most ill-disciplined politician ever. Shortly after this incident, with the publication of a book by Joshua Green titled The Devil's Bargain, which attributed Trump's electoral victory to Bannon rather than Trump himself, the fissure between the president and his adviser widened. This ultimately led to Bannon's dismissal. As of October 2017, Bannon is formulating his next move in the political arena, contemplating backing another candidate or even running himself. He also estimates the odds of Trump getting impeached at 33.3%, expressing conviction that Trump won't endure another term. Final summary. The core insight from this book. Donald Trump's successful campaign caught much of the world, including Trump and most of his team, off guard. Their strategy was designed for failure, devoid of any genuine ambition to clinch the presidency. It was merely a vehicle to enhance Trump's brand on a global platform. The campaign lacked seasoned political strategists and understanding of governance and policymaking processes, resulting in an administration rife with internal power struggles and flagrant conflicts of interest. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.